Chapter One of Things Seen in Venice by Lonsdale and Laura Rag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Things Seen in Venice by Lonsdale Rag, B.D. Oxen, Prebendary of Buckden in Lincoln Cathedral, author of Dante and His Italy, and Laura M. Rag author of the women artists of bologna with many illustrations london seeley service and company limited thirty eight great russell street nineteen twenty alla cara amica alethea wheel lawley chapter one first impressions to be obliged to enter a stately edifice by its back door is an unfortunate circumstance destructive of any just conception of its proportions grandeur and charm yet this obligation is laid not only on every pedestrian visitor who calls on the dwellers in venetian palaces but on every modern traveller brought by railway to the city of the lagoons its visitors of old time were more fortunate they approached this città nobilissima e singolare by ways which enabled them to taste its quality from afar they saw its distant campanile as they sailed across the adriatic from trieste or they came like john evelyn in sixteen forty five by brondolo and chioggia over against malamocco the chief port and anchorage where our english merchantmen lie that trade with venice and here entering the lagoon they slipped into the bacino di san marco the campanile beckoning them on till their progress was arrested by the custom-house which looked seaward from the sharp point of dorsoduro or like shakespeare's portia they might come from padua travelling by barge along the brenta through the level green water-meadows to fusina and there embarking on the common ferry which trades to venice they approached the city by the broad judecca channel or again if they had crossed the alps by the brenna pass they left their carriages and all the toils and fatigues of travel at mestre and there entered a gondola the reviving salt breeze and the masses of heaving seaweed proclaiming the vicinity of the adriatic then they rowed across the lagoon slowly nearing the city which lay like a big lotus-leaf on its bosom not surrounded like other mediaeval towns by defences of masonry but having these shining expanses of water alike for road and rampart and when the low shore of the mainland behind them had become a mere wavering neutral tinted line the boat swept into the canal of canareggio and then passed the church of san geremia into the grand canal the broadest and most stately street in europe yet what the modern traveller loses in aesthetic satisfaction he gains in sensations of astonishment no previous preparation descriptive or photographic can seriously diminish the delightful thrill experienced by the newcomer to venice as he leaves the railway platform and emerges on the station quay overlooking the grand canal there by the broad flight of water steps the cabs of venice the hired gondolas are waiting in a black mass for the arrival of the express trains as soon as the first luggage-laden figure appears on the quay the mass becomes agitated the air is rent with cries the offering gondola gondola from the water from the shore the imperative poppe poppe boatman 
of blue-vested facchini anxious to secure a good boat for the signori who have tipped them well or the christian name of some private gondolier francesco luigi pietro or what not is shouted and a reassuring eccomi signorina pronto signore comes from some stalwart standing form who presently with marvellous dexterity will manage to extricate his gondola from the crowd avoid the wash of a steamer making for the station pontoon to the left and draw up at some spot on the outskirts of confusion many of the best hotels now send a steam launch as station bus to meet expected guests this is an advantage to the traveller who is going for the bathing season straight out to the lido otherwise time seems dearly gained at the expense of the restful motion of the old-fashioned gondola one of the most characteristic and delicious features of life in the lagoons to arrive uncertain of one's destination and without the power to conceal the fact beneath a mask of assumed decision is to be the victim of the knot of hotel porters who command the station exit chanting the names of their houses prepare to pounce like spiders on any vacillating fly happy is the man who has come to stay in venice with some of its residents and is met on arrival by his host's private gondola manned by two gondoliers happier still is he if his friends refrain from coming to welcome him in person to feel oneself propelled with the easy speed of the double oar to observe without fully comprehending to yield oneself silently to wholly new sensations this is the way to enjoy to the full the luxury of arrival travellers who have crossed the alps often come by an express train from milan which reaches venice near midnight those who have crossed the apennines often enter with the dawn both hours are favourable to striking first impressions as the night train leaves the station at mestre and steams across the bridge built by the austrians to link their conquest with the mainland the lights of venice gleam brightly in the midst of a plain dark water and the unique situation of the city of refuge is realised more vividly than when the eye is dazzled by sunlight and distracted by the unending variations of cloud and reflection then when the restful gondola is reached and the traveller begins to move along the waterway he is penetrated by the novelty of its silence in the darkness he strains his ears rather than his eyes and the only sounds which meet them are the rhythmical dip of the oar the lapping of the tide against marble steps the weirdly melodious cry of the gondolier sent forth in warning as he rounds a corner or overtakes another boat residents in venice know that the stillness is fallacious experience quickly teaches that human voices echo through the silence made by the absence of traffic that narrow foot passages and waterways are funnels up which sounds of steps or of revellers songs ascend to upper windows that italians seem able to reduce the hours of sleep to a minimum that when wine-shops disgorge their cheerful occupants vivacious discussion will continue on the nearest bridge that solitary wayfarers are apt to enliven a night tramp with reproductions allegro and combrio of the popular operatic tune and finally that certain gondoliers are bound by the laws of the municipio to be on duty all night at the traghetti ferries and are determined that some of the inhabitants of the surrounding houses shall share their vigil but the traveller is still ignorant of these facts 
though he may discover some of them all too soon, when he retires weary to his couch. For the moment, this quiet water transit possesses him, this arrival so unlike the drive from the station in any other city, seaport or country village. He plunges, wandering into the dim side canals, scarcely able to discern the outline of the masonry through the shadow of which he passes, all that is mean and ugly hidden by the darkness, and a mystery adding allurement to the beauty half revealed. Then he emerges again into the moonlight space of the Grand Canal, with its bordering of stately palaces. Some are shuttered and lightless, and the gondola of the house, sparecchiata, despoiled of all but its frame, heaves fastened to its pali, the tall post before the door. Others have no gondola, while a single light is burning in the water entrance, indications that the owners are still abroad and are expected home anon, or again there is a long row of lighted windows, from which issue gusts of laughter, merriment and music, while below a black group of gondolas lies awaiting the close of an evening reception. Then, if the traveller is bound for one of the hotels near St. Mark's, there will intervene another shortcut, another sudden plunge into a side canal, till finally he emerges into a great stretch of scintillating, moon-swept water, giving back the lights of the piazzetta, and widening seaward to the shimmering lagoon. But if the traveller come when the shadows are slipping downwards from the palaces, like a discarded garment sliding to the feet, and the expanse of lagoon and wide channel are growing grey and faintly luminous, he will find a quieter station, a less confused embarkation, and a more refreshing breeze than at any other hour. Then, too, he will have glimpses of the city's provisioning, invisible to later risers, of barges bearing milk from the mainland, of boats laden with market-garden produce, of a bustle accompanied by the sound of many voices, about the Rialto and the fish-market. Then, too, if the weather favour him, he will see two sights of magical loveliness. Looking seawards, the dome of the church of the Madonna della Salute, with all its delicate barocco twirls and spirals, a wondrous brittle dome of wizardry, outlined against a sky whose pale intensifying light is veiled in a transparent pearly haze. Looking landwards, the whole line of the Alps, white-crested with a sprinkling of newly fallen snow, or gleaming in silver and pale purple through the tremulous white of a summer dawn. The sunset may show them again, revealing more clearly to the west the mountains above Vicenza, but never do they look so ethereal, so dreamlike, as in the pure light of early morning. The medal, like every other made of earthly metal, has its reverse. After the delicious row from the station comes the reckoning, often a disagreeable awakening from a pleasant dream. The English or American visitor is nowadays regarded as the rightful prey of the gondolier, whom he has spoilt by misplaced generosity, and whom he sometimes irritates by unjust suspicion. The course from the station to the fashionable hotels is a long one, and the foreigner's luggage is often weighty. Sometimes the gondolier is outrageous in his demands, sometimes the forestieri are unreasonable in their withholdings. When a wrangle ensues, the latter are at a disadvantage, for even should they understand and speak Italian, 
they are likely to be worsted when the excited venetian slips into his own dialect the writer remembers how not long ago two young english ladies going to a pension not on a canal besought the gondolier to carry their trunks from the landing-place to the door of their lodging the man refused to do so unless he were paid a preposterous extra fee it was late and the frightened girls were about to capitulate when two english gentlemen came to the traghetto overhearing the altercation they dismissed the gondolier with a threat of report to the vigili police and themselves carried their compatriots trunks to the pension entrance again if a moonlight night on the lagoons holds a charm unknown to the mainland if the dawn seems more magical the midday sunshine more effulgent it cannot be denied that a wet day is drearier and more uncomfortable in venice than in any other european city there are days when we would thankfully exchange the steamer for a rattling bus and the noiseless gondola for a snorting taxicab when all traffic is dislocated by fog or wind when even the shelter of a felze the hearse-like hood of the gondola is denied to us and it is an adventure to cross the grand canal near its mouth and impossible to steer across the channel of the judecca in such weather an arrival at night is no delicious dream but a veritable nightmare no gondolas are waiting at the station stairs and the traveller stands dripping and impatient while a shivering facchino shouts Pope till he is hoarse if the wind is strong and gusty it may be necessary to employ a second rower secondo remo to avoid the wider canals as far as possible and to study carefully both wind and tide in very wild weather it is safer to leave one's heavy luggage at the station and go on board one of the steamers vaporetti which ply from early dawn to midnight up and down the grand canal calling at various points very occasionally even this means of locomotion fails us in a thick sea fog there is nothing for it but to fall back on shanks's mare or as the italians say more picturesquely the cavallo di san francesco End of chapter one